Forget about the curveball, Ricky. Give him a heater. And welcome to the Heater Podcast. I'm Dan Lewig. He's Corey Peeper. As we uh, are one of the rare uh, baseball entities that can uh, play without a uh, rain delay. Uh, and uh, we are at least doing uh, dome style uh, as we uh, d- take care of things in the middle of a very wet weekend in Wisconsin. Uh, and some uh, some nasty storms. There was a tornado. There was some hail. Uh, it's been a little interesting in our neck of the woods. It's when it hasn't been raining, it's still been wet because it's been unbearably humid the last few days around here. And when you get that, you get the pop-up storms and goes 20 minutes of rain and then you get 40 minutes of sun and then it rains for an hour. And it's been a kind of a weird weather pattern all weekend and get it affected some- my popcorn wagon business when it was, we had to shut down for the first time this year. We had not shut down due to weather. We had shut down a little early, but we shut down a full day Saturday and said, it's just not worth it. I'm not dodging lightning all day. It's metal roof, small wagon, not not taking that chance. But we stuck it out today, dodged it a little bit. But overall, when, when we were open and it was sunny, business was fine. It's I can't say I blame people for not wanting to come out in downpours. <laughs> yeah, this has felt like a Florida weather uh, yeah. uh, with the way the storms go uh, there, and especially those afternoon showers that just make everything more sweltering that's when what, it's done. And that's what a couple of people commented, like, when you get the big storms at the end of the day, a lot of times afterwards, it you can step outside and it just feels like crisp. But here it was, okay, it, it rained for 20 minutes, and then within five minutes, the humidity just cranked right back up. And you're like, okay, that's just making this worse. Or we, we have to get out of this pattern, and we haven't quite got out of it yet. I think we probably got another round. It looked like tonight. I didn't look the radar lately, but on my yep. phone this afternoon, it looked like tonight we got one more round, and... Maybe uh, the the river's getting pretty high in Rock Springs again. I don't know I, if you looked when you crossed. It. Yeah, well, uh, things are are back up, and uh, so now we need some uh, nice weather to uh, some nice heat to start t- uh, tapering things off a little. I want to go fishing, and if the river's constantly high, I can't get out there. So yeah. hopefully this week. Let's talk some baseball, shall we? Yeah, I guess the last thing I'll say is uh, I'm hoping to finally do some kayaking here within another yeah. week or so. So that's the, the this plan, is too. time to go, in, yeah. When the river's high, you don't have to worry about grounding out as much. You this usually go on the beer, don't you? Yep. You were going to buy a kayak. Did you buy a kayak? No, I haven't done it yet. And we'll probably see if there's some end-of-season sales that we'll yeah. look at. Otherwise, we'll just rent this year and then buy uh, in the spring. Smart. I think so. that's a good idea. It's a good time to kayak right now, like you said. If the river's high, you don't have to worry about grounding out around here. If you ever went to the Kickapoo? Yep, been there a couple times. Yeah, that's a good one, too. That's a famous one. If you go up north, you should go to the Wolf River, too, or we're the just, Apple River. We were just passing by the Wolf River not yeah. long ago. That's so right, that's yeah, that's right. Yeah, you would have been in yeah. that area. Yeah. yeah. Okay, let's yeah, talk let's, some body heat here. Yeah, let's dive into some uh, baseball. But before we do, I'd be remiss to say, since we were talking about it, the Heater Podcast is brought to you by River Creek Popcorn. For all of your snacking needs for baseball games and movies of choice and thunderstorms, come hungry, leave happy. It was a good time to get popcorn and go home and watch a movie or a baseball yeah. game because you weren't doing much else like outside there's people were like oh i'm gonna go out to the lake and i had a couple people come back and say yeah i didn't go on the lake like 20 minutes and then you're off so not or, a good day for that or binge watch your uh, favorite uh, netflix That's right show. we watched a lot of outer banks this weekend there we go. it's a great i also watched suicide squad anyways let's start with just the list of guys who i don't know if they tested positive for covid if they were in close contact just a list of names some pretty big names on this list it started with 
Okay, so first off, Christian Yelich came back today finally, but the Brewers have some COVID issues right now. Josh Hader has it. Eric Lauer is on this list. Adrian Hauser. All those guys have pitched regular plus some bullpen arms, so they've been very shorthanded. Uh, Garrett Cole, so the Yankees have had the problems. Garrett Cole, Jordan Montgomery, Gary Sanchez, Anthony Rizzo, all of them are currently on the COVID IL. Uh, your team, the only name I found on your team is Randy Rosarena, currently has it. The Red Sox, I think they've already cleared it. So theirs must not have been positives because at time this week, J.D. Martinez and Jaron Duran went on it. But I saw that at least, uh, yeah, they both were in the lineup today. So they must have just been close contact. But if we've, we say it a lot, I, I don't know what to say about COVID anymore. It's the numbers are going up as far as positive tests. And well, we're entering we're that summer spike, right? We've seen this even last year uh, within it. And so especially in the warmer climate areas, but it's not just there, but uh, for traveling around within it, like this is the, with the, the Delta variant that is more, more contagious than the uh, original. Uh, this is propping up everywhere. So it's, it's no surprise that it's happening in major league baseball as well. And definitely uh, making an impact on uh you know, playoff chases and uh, things with them. So you're seeing uh, teams like the, the Brewers that are scrambling for to find any warm body to throw in the bullpen uh, within it. And then the Yankees are getting their their big uh, push within it. And uh, other teams as well, you know, raised with uh, Randy Rosarina and others. So it's the just trying to ride it out and then get to the other side. Let's, well, since we're on the Yankees, let's talk their non-COVID injuries. They had a couple of those. So Gio Urshela was on the COVID IL a couple of weeks ago, got back for a few games, and then he missed time, and he got put on the IL again with a hamstring injury. Uh, I did not see a severity there. Hamstrings are very touchy. It's hard to know. And then the big one, I guess, for them, we talked about how the month of June was terrible for Araldis Chapman. He's actually been pretty good again since the All-Star break. I think he was, yeah, .9 ERA, .9 whip. Converted every save chance again since the All-Star break across his 10 innings, so 7 for 7. He'd been pitching well again, but left elbow inflammation, and that is his pitching arm, right? He is a lefty, and that's they said it's something like, quote, wear and tear or something looked normal just for this time of the year, but I don't, I don't like hearing left elbow inflammation at for anybody, especially somebody who throws like that. Absolutely. That's a... Uh, I mean, you you rely on the elbow for the torque that's needed from even just the the violent delivery of the hundred plus mile an hour fastball and anything else like that's uh, you that has to be right in order to be effective. He's the reason why he's so effective is because of the insane miles per hour uh, with what's there that allows him to get away with a lot more. He doesn't have the control to handle when that fastball goes down four or five miles an hour. He's a different pitcher. He's a hittable pitcher. Uh, so that elbow is going to be very key. Let's keep it in the AL East. Kevin Biggio, he, this is his second time on the aisle this year. Earlier it was, they had a very technical term, I don't remember, like neck impingement or something, and I was like, oh, wow, that sounds bad. Well, now they're just saying he has back and neck discomfort. It sounded like it's been kind of an issue ongoing all year, and I know the Blue Jays pointed out that they would like him to only miss the 10 games, and if we keep it to the other AL East team, uh, Ryan Mountcastle of the Baltimore Orioles, he slid kind of weird, if I, and he got concussed on it, and so he hit the concussion IL. Now, the concussion IL is a little different than the regular IL in that it's seven days. It's not 10, so you have to test out of it, though, right? You have to have a neurologist say that your concussion's healed, which is makes sense, and so he, he hit that IL. I think he officially hit it today, but it was a few days ago. He was Actually, playing, he was stealing against your team, and he got ta- tagged kind of weird, or he got tagged on the head by Wander Franco, and it just apparently gave him a concussion. So we'll take your time and get healthy. 
another neck injury. Yuli Gurriel, so Houston has been playing great still. They keep winning a lot of games, but Yuli Gurriel, who's played primarily first for them, he hit the aisle with neck stiffness. They said he slept funny in his hotel room where we've all been there, right? The pillows in hotel beds are always, I don't know, they're, I don't know how you like them, but they're always way too soft for me. Guess work. It's always it's always a 50-50 yeah. shot because if you if it's too soft, then you try to put a second one on there, and you put a second one on there, you get a kink in a different way. So, yeah, it's it's guesswork. Yeah, you got to always bring, come on, Yuli Grail, you're a professional. Bring your own pillow along, dude. There like, I, I try to remember to do that. Uh, let's do, that's only a couple more on here. Anthony DiSclefani, uh shoulder fatigue. So the Brewers just got done facing the Giants. I heard this one because he was supposed to go Saturday, and they said, nope, and it sounded like, Kind of the fake Dodgeritis thing where he's going to miss one start and he should be good to go next week. Yes, no, so you can you can just tell someone again by this stage in the in the the year you're going to get more of that sh- shoulder fatigue style where you just need, you need to give that break mm-hmm. uh, and uh, just re- uh, rest it, strengthen it, and uh, come back at her. There's one that we don't know severity of this one, but McCutcheon, Andrew McCutcheon of the Philadelphia Phillies, who we'll talk about them a little bit here because they have yeah. a couple guys. There, they have a big one coming up on the heater here, but he hit the IL left knee inflammation. And they said they're not sure how long it's going to take to get the swelling down on his knee. So there was no timetable on that injury, unfortunately, for them. And I guess the big one of the week was we haven't seen Anthony Rendon in a while. Uh, much like we talked about Tyler Glass now last week, it's been a while that we'd seen Anthony Rendon. But as of this week, he had hip surgery, and it's official. This is a done for the season. Now, unlike Tyler Glass now, who was playing great this year, uh, it's been a bad year for Anthony Rendon. He's come up a couple times, and 240 over 50 a games, that's that's not very good for a player that they're paying that much money. I, I think I, I'm going to say in the preseason, when we start talking about next year at some point, that he's going to be somebody I expect to bounce back out of. That's, I, I that's really a do buy think he's low got candidate it. right yep. there. I really think that he's going to be just fine in this. Did you, did you have any injuries? No I injuries. Didn't. Okay. Uh, let's move on to hot off the presses. Oh, let's start with the dumb move of the week. Ramon Laureano, PEDs, those are still a thing too. We talk about sticky substances, but it is still illegal to use PEDs. And if you get caught, you get suspended, as you should. And he was caught 80 games, Nandrolone. I'm going to say that wrong. Nandrolone, performance-enhancing substance. It's tough, right? Like, we saw them make a trade for Starling Marte, and I said, I think they could have the best defensive outfield because Laureano's really good, Marte's really good. Well, now you're Josh Harrison. I said he's been playing well. I think I thought they were bringing him in as utility player. Now he's primary outfielder. The like I said, when you hear the excuse, often this is what you hear from from any players. And I'm not saying whether it's true or, or not true, uh, but the, like I, I never took anything. It must have been uh, an ingredient in something that I was unaware of. That excuse no longer works because here's you know like certain substances have someone look it over. Get it checked by a doctor. Get approved substance. Like there's easy ways to get around that, because you're uh, you're playing in a profession where you have to know what goes in your body. Period. Every single ingredient. Period. Uh, so that's no longer an excuse. You have a wealth of you have team doctors. You have uh, agents. You have you have everything at your disposal where you can't play the I didn't know card. So whether or not there was anything intentional or not, whether intentional or idiotic, either way, you deserve the 80-game suspension. Yes, you do. Let's keep it in the AL West for a couple big call-ups. Chris Rodriguez, I don't know if we've ever mentioned Chris Rodriguez. He's an actual, I mentioned Reed Detmers last week. For all the guff I've given the Los Angeles Angels about their pitching prospects, they have 
a couple, or I should say they're major league pitching. They have a couple of good prospects. Detmers had a rough first start. Rodriguez was pretty good. Uh, six innings, three earned, seven Ks. That's fine. That's for them. That's probably an ace. And they finally made their big call up. Uh, the, the shine has dulled a bit for Joe Waddell over the years, but he's still like 22. And I think that he still could be very good. Like think Byron Buxton levels of outfield play out of Joe Waddell. 2020 is well within reach. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's still very possible for him. And we've seen him get held down in the minors most of the season when it seemed like, you know, Mike Trout was hurting and they had all these injuries and they brought up Brandon Marsh, who's a prospect and some of those guys, but he cut his strikeout rate down. Remember, Joe Mann said he's going to the minors until he can cut down that strikeout rate. Well, it happened. It's it's still high, but it's in the 20 percentile range, 25 percent. That's doable. He had 23 homers, eight steals and hitting 290 at minor league ball. So. Yeah, Joe Waddell should be very helpful to a team that, as I said, they just lost Anthony Rendon. Mike Drought's still not back. They they have nothing much to play for this season. They're not catching Houston. They are not going to catch Oakland. So let's see what Joe Waddell has here. Uh, went from one young player. Sorry, did I cut you off? No, oh, we went from one young guy to one old guy. The Dodgers, they've already had a bunch of success with some old dudes this year, like Albert Pools. Now, as they strive to find innings, because that's something I did not expect to say about them this year. They signed Cole Hamels. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the uh, You never know in small doses if you can get something with that, but this feel, that feels more like desperation than anything else. And it wasn't just uh, Max Scherzer that they traded for. Like They had another nice trade. Danny Duffy, right? They got Danny Duffy, but I so think I he's don't understand still Cole Hamels. Yeah, I think Duffy's still on the IL. Cole Hamels, so... The contract is they're going to pay him a million dollars, and then I think it was every start he makes, he gets 100000 or $200,000 more. So what that says to me is if they need to get to September or to October and they just need someone to eat innings, you might see Cole Hamels make a few starts, or you might see him more likely just to save money. They will have him follow a opener and just eat four or five innings for him. I The last time we saw Cole Hamels, he pitched to an 80 RA last year with Atlanta, that was only three innings. Now, the year before with the Cubs, it was a 381 ERA, right? He's been great. I saw someone make the joke, you know, throwing it back to 2012 when David Price won the Cy Young Award and Cole Hamels finished like third for the Phillies. So they, they have, he has a history of being a good player. That is undisputable. It's just, I can't imagine that Cole Hamels is going to help the Dodgers very much other than, like I said, eating a few innings for him and getting him to the finish line. He's closing in on, on 38, uh, and uh, he's barely pitched any innings in the last two years. But you don't need a bunch. You just need a short stretch uh, just to get you there. So who knows? Maybe they can catch lightning in a bottle the way they have so many times this year. I did not mention this in the pregame when we were talking about this. Did you happen to see the Brewers? I texted you, I think, that the Brewers traded for John Axford, speaking of not pitching in years. The, no. He hadn't pitched since, like, 2018, and he hadn't pitched for the Brewers in 10 years. He was doing... TV. Ball. He was doing TV broadcasting at the beginning of this year, and then he saw that the Canadians might need him to qualify, so he's like, oh, I'm going to try and pitching again. The Brewers traded $1 to get John Axford. That was the trade, and uh, he made it, I think, one-third of an inning, and then he hurt his elbow when he's out for the year, but it was just such a cool story. That that, that one's right up there with one of the better sto- stories of the year. That's uh, because the Brewers, I mentioned, they have a lot of COVID going on, so... That, that was the John Axford trade. I should have mentioned that before we started. <laughs> well, since he now has uh, stats for 2021, right. he has a 26.49 XFIP. Hey. Uh, so, you know. It was, it was a little <laughs> rough of an inning. It was not a great inning, but it was cool to see him back. Everybody cheered. They played the music. It had been a long time since 
I think he's the Brewers like fourth all time and just saves. So it yeah. make a return. Other good story, more uh, monetary in nature. We talked about the Tigers possibly trading away some of their players at the trade deadline, and they kept most of them because they just keep winning. I think they're only four or five games under 500 now. And instead, they decided to pay one of them. Jonathan Scope got his two-year extension through 2023 for $15 million. This year, he's hit 289, 18 home runs, 64 RBIs. That's a really solid season. He's actually – I remember the year that he was on the Brewers or a lot of the Baltimore days where he played second, but now he's playing primarily first for Detroit. And, yeah, that's a really good year. He was going to be a free agent, but they paid up. Yeah, he's got nice nice numbers, 291 – uh uh, batting average, 335 on base percentage, uh, 468 slugging, a 118 WRC plus worth almost uh, two wins above replacement. Uh, and the Detroit Tigers uh, can easily classify them as one of the surprise teams uh, this year as far as surpassing expectations. They're only about six games under 500. I think Detroit catches Cleveland. I think they do too. I think they catch Cleveland and finish uh, second this year, which, hey, I didn't see him finishing second. I thought they might get to – like be decent. I said, I think if they throw those young pitchers, a lot of innings and they've been pretty good. The young pitchers have worked out. So yeah, good year for Detroit as they make their rebuild. Their their rebuild definitely looks brighter after the results of this year. Let's move on to on a heater. I have five names and they sort of mix up with some of the best teams. This first one. Okay. Bryce Harper. We got to talk Bryce Harper. So Jacob deGrom is hurt. Fernando Tatis Jr. is hurt. I actually I threw this into a group chat I'm in today. Is Bryce Harper now the favorite for the NL MVP? I know that Vegas still says it's Fernando Tatis, but if you had told me, I, I'm putting my money on one of two guys. It's Bryce Harper or it's Trey Turner because if Trey Turner comes out to the Dodgers and he's been great the first two days, but Bryce Harper is the NL MVP that's, right now, I think. That, that's hard for all the stars and, and the Dodgers. You're not going to get the same respect that Mookie did because he did over the course of a full year versus coming in now, but... Uh, winners of eight straight. Uh, if Philly goes on a surge, if they win the NL East uh, and he does well as part of it, yeah, I think he's the easy uh, dark horse candidate if Vegas isn't giving him hit now. Uh, I'd be putting money on him on Vegas uh, for, for getting that because he, to me, is the front runner. Yeah, I, I said if Philly ends up winning the NL East, watch out, right? Since the All-Star game, I did not include today. I think he hit another home run today, but I had 12 doubles and four home runs when I did it last night hitting 388 with a 534 on base percentage in that time and a 746 slugging. He's up over 300 for the year with a 415 on base percentage. The only strange part of his year is he only has 44 RBIs with 19 home runs when I did this last night. And I think we mentioned he had like set a record to start the year with the most consecutive solo home runs. And I don't know if you're lo- loading over there, but his stack ass page is a thing of beauty. He's like top 3% in expected Woba, expected batting average, expected slugging, top 10% and everything. And like you said, Billy's on fire. I think it's that did they win today? If so, it's an eight game winning streak, right? Yep, it's eight games. Yeah, good for them, right? They have now moved to the top of the NL East. And I think Bryce Harper has to at least be considered among the favorites for that award. I didn't put him on this list, but I saw that Zach Wheeler was incredible today. Also nine innings, 11 strikeouts. You can very easily make the case he is the one of the leaders in the clubhouse for the National League Cy Young Award winner, right? Uh, the only other name, I, the person he's probably competing with, you could make a case for one of the Brewers starters, but the other name would be number two on this list is Walker Bueller, right? His full season involves leading the major leagues in winning percentage, ERA, 
quality starts, which if you'd have told me before the year that Walker Bueller was leading baseball in quality starts the way that the Dodgers manage their innings, I'd have said not a chance, but he is like three clear of that award. And since July 10th, which is roughly the all-star break, it's even better. Five starts, 33 innings, 37 strikeouts, a 108 ERA. He has not allowed a home run since the beginning, like the end of June. That you'd be like, oh, okay, well, he didn't face anybody. No, that five-star stretch includes a start at Coors Field, two versus the first-place Giants, and one versus Houston. Like, that's the murderer's role of good teams, at least offensively. And, yeah, Walker Bueller, I think, is probably my favorite right now to win the Cy Young Award because we still don't see Jacob DeGrom. And as much as I like all the Brewers' options, uh, they're starting to limit their innings, and Walker Bueller just keeps going here. Yeah, he's uh, – with everything that has happened with the Dodgers' uh, starting rotation – He's the the one that's been keeping it going. Quick mention of Jamison Tyone, uh, another guy since the start of July. Six games, 4-0, 37 innings, 35 strikeouts, 11 walks, a 145 ERA. Uh, I, I mentioned last week that the Yankees' starting rotation is questionable at best, but Tyone's been good lately. I wish he would sort of cut down on – he throws – there's sometimes where pitchers throw too many pitches. <laughs> um like, you Darvish shows a ton of pitches and is great at it because he uses it to change it up. I think Jamison Tyone would be better doing the Patrick Corbin when Patrick Corbin was good thing. And just instead of, remember, Patrick Troy was good, he threw a fastball and a slider. I think if Jamison Tyone just went to a fastball and a curveball and completely ixnade his slider, it would be better for him. But he likes to throw a slider and it gets hit harder than his other pitches, but still a very good month. I'm going to throw a couple names in here from the just having a good a good week in names that we've been monitoring uh, over the course of, of from the trading deadline. So, for example, Josiah Gray uh, in, with Washington. He's had uh, two starts, 10 innings, uh, 1.8 ERA, 12 strikeouts. Uh, he's looked very good for them, which is in what In my fantasy want. lineup. There you go. That's right. Uh, and uh, since I give him and have given him and will continue to give him so much grief uh, throughout his time with the San Diego Padres, uh, it's time to give Blake Snell some props. Uh, <laughs> deserving for his, he gots to get paid. He's had two starts this week, 0.75 ERA, 12 innings. So he actually did get like wow. six innings per start. Nice. So that's a, like big time for uh, for Blake Snell. Uh, one run given up again during that time, 19 strikeouts to six walks. He's actually had uh-huh. a very good week uh, and deserves uh, some props for that. So that's there. Uh, the last one I was going to mention uh, was uh, again the challenges have been the uh, just the the injuries for the the, the COVID for Brewers right because Corbin Burns had a, a good start Adrian Hauser had a good start like the numbers are good you need them back in the lineup yeah got to get some of those guys back here uh, especially Adrian Hauser doesn't get the credit just because he's overshadowed by their big three and but he eats a lot of innings for him and gets a ton of ground balls and it'd be nice to get him back. Uh, I have a couple more here quick. Dansby Swanson. Remember we talked about how the Braves were so cold. They're not anymore. They have also passed the Mets, I believe, and are now in second. So Step right up and pass the Mets. That's right. Since July 27th, Dansby Swanson is 15 of 35 with three doubles, three home runs, two steals in that time, hitting 429. He is at a career high, 20 home runs. That was shocking to me. I thought he was having an okay year, not that good of a year, but... Good for him, and George Springer looks like the pair, the player that Toronto was paid for now since the All-Star break for him. 79 at-bats, he's had 10 doubles, a triple, eight home runs, hitting 380, and that team is also red hot. I think they are now 9-1 and one in their last 10 with the best run differential in that division, which they've had for a while, but 
I said, I still think Toronto's got a big push in them, and George Springer's going to be a big part of that. Yeah, if we use that as the segue to, like, the teams that are on a heater, uh, we can talk about the Toronto Blue Jays that are 8-2 and two in their last uh, 10. Uh, they have now closed within a half game of the Yankees for third place or 10 games over 500. They're only three back of Boston for, for second. So with Boston free-falling 2-8 and eight in their last 10, uh, it's only because the Yankees have been surging at the same time mm-hmm. uh, that the Blue Jays are in in fourth. But there's only three games that separate teams number two through number four in the AL East. And uh, the Yankees uh, and Blue Jays are keeping it interesting and will continue to keep it interesting there as we go down the stretch. Uh, Oakland Athletics have been on that surge. They're now only two games back at Houston, the AL West, after winning now four in a row. They're 8-2 and two in their last ten. Uh, so that's what's going on in the AL as far as surging teams. And we mentioned Philly eight in a row right now, eight and two in their last ten. That they includes have a sweep a, of the Mets. Sorry, that yeah. includes a sweep of the Mets in there. And that's a huge wins uh, for them. Two game lead over the Atlanta Braves now in the in the East. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see if the if the Mets can stop the bleeding there with lose, losers of the last four and they're two and eight, corresponding with the Phillies eight and two. And the Braves are pretty good too, aren't they? In that time, yeah. So they're uh, uh, seven and three. Yeah, that's pretty good too. Yeah. And of the three, the only one with a plus uh, run differential uh, there yet uh, in second place. So again, we'll see what happens there. Uh, Cincinnati Reds keep surging five in a row. They're eight and two in their last ten. They've now closed to within five of the Milwaukee Brewers in the Central, as well as only being. Looks like two and a half back of the Padres for the second wild card spot. And we mentioned last week, we said, can the Yankees catch up or, or the Blue Jays to the wild card there? And then also, can the Reds do it? And in the last week, all that's happened is continuing to close that gap. And there's still a month and a half uh, plus to play. Uh, and so if you if you are within two, even three games going into the final month, you are close enough to make a run. And they are all... At that point now. And I don't remember where I saw it. I would love to give somebody credit. But somebody pointed out that of like the 50 games the Reds have left, like 30 of them are against the Pirates, the Rockies, and ooh, I don't remember. Maybe the Diamondbacks. Like it was some absurd schedule of easiness upcoming for the Reds. So got to hold on, Brewers here. Let's go. <laughs> so maybe that's part of the, you know, you think of strength of schedule with things. Is, is that part of the the reason why Cincinnati was inconsistent in addition to Luis Castillo is fully back? Uh, so that's a big plus there. Uh, but the now that the schedule is weakening up as they get to the softer side of their schedule, uh, they're making a, a run at things, and uh, they don't look to be slowing down anytime soon. So, yeah, the Brewers got to keep going uh, at their pace, but also, again, the Padres – uh, are need to be looking behind them. Cubs were the other team. And if you've seen the Cubs lineup lately, since all their trades, uh, they're currently playing. It is, here's their Cubs lineup. Rafael Ortega, who's been actually really good this week. Matt Duffy, Ian Happ, Wilson Contreras, Patrick Wisdom, David Bodie, Greg Diekman, and Sergio Alcantara. As that is the murderer's row that is being thrown out on the north side of Chicago. So yeah, the Reds, the, the Cubs are not the team that you faced even two weeks ago. So, Brewers, so I think the Brewers actually play the Cubs to start this week. So we know the Cubs and Mets are on a, a free fall right now. Uh, we know that in the uh, the American League, we're looking at uh, Boston. Uh, Boston is yeah. in the middle. Their, their challenge is 2-8 and eight and they're 10. So these are teams that uh, were, you know, as we go to heat is on, uh, that need to do that. What about players? Well, let's talk Kevin Gaussman. The season numbers still look pretty good. 
231 ERA, 10 and 5, 157 strikeouts to 39 walks, but he's definitely a bit more human since the All-Star break. Since that time, four starts, 17 innings, he's 1 and 2, but a 6-11 ERA, still 24 walks or 24 strikeouts, but nine walks. Here's what I'd say about Kevin Gaussman. He's still going to be good, right? But it's definitely a bit lucky. He has a 239 BABIP. He's stranded over 82% of his runners, and he's given up a sub 10% home run to fly ball rate, which is all a little, like, nothing is unbelievably lucky, but it's all a little lucky, which probably means that right now I said he has a 231 ERA. If you told me that he pitched to a 3 ERA the rest of the way, even a 3-5 ERA, I'd say, yep, that's that's believable. Bank included that into the 231 he's already banked, and he still ends up with a sub-3 ERA, which is perfectly doable for Kevin Gaussman, and I still believe, like, Kevin Gaussman, I said it last week, I don't remember we were talking about, but I said Kevin Gaussman is an ace. I, I believe that he is an ace at that they lucked to, out to get to sign that qualifying offer, but it's been a little better than he probably should be. Uh, somebody who I've really got concerns about is Zach Blesak. Uh I'm just not sure how good he really is at this point, and it's probably because we've seen three seasons of him, but it's 256 total innings due to the weird year last year, some injuries and stuff like that. And every year is completely different. Okay. 2019, he threw 115 innings with a 381 ERA, but a 545 expected ERA. So he was lucky, but he had a good ERA. Then last year in 55 innings, he had a 228 ERA, which okay. And a 343 XERA to back it up. And he struck out over nine per nine innings. And then this year we're at a mid fours ERA with a, mid fours xfip and he's down to five strikeouts per nine innings it's all over the map if he had enough innings he would currently qualify as the lowest k per nine in baseball below dale dallas keichel like dallas keichel gets by on throwing ground ball stuff and that's fine he's worked for it his whole career he won a Cy Young. we're doing that but there are very few pitchers who can survive striking five guys out per nine innings it is extremely rare and i'm just not sure that exactly sex really all that good I don't know. Well, he definitely hasn't been good this week. As I do the uh, looking at the MLB.com, you can do the last seven days and just look at uh, who's hot and who's not. Uh, and as you look at the, the pitcher list and you look at the top ten, uh, or the worst ten, depending upon how you uh, put the perspective on it, Zach Plezak is number three in ERA of ten. Uh, he's had two starts this week, nine innings, 12 hits, 10 runs, three home runs, uh, three walks to six strikeouts. So he's not fooling anybody, this, at least this week, and the numbers overall are not bearing out what's been a, a very uh, uh, down more than up year. I think, I said, I think Kevin Gaussman's good. I'm not sure that Zach is actually all that good. I think that he's a back end of the rotation starter at best who had a very good 2020 season, kind of like I think we mentioned Dylan Moore earlier this year one time on this stretch where he is great last year, but it was 50 innings or 50 games or 60 games, and now we're seeing a full season, and they're returning to where they've always been. I now, got I got three more names for you, though, for uh, in the top uh, top 10 uh, for worst that were uh, trade deadline acquisitions that uh, definitely have been trade duds <laughs> at this point for <laughs> this who week. we got here. So the one you expect, uh, the one right above Zach Plezak is... Uh, we'll get there, uh, but the one above uh, above uh, Plezak is John Lester. Oh, uh, yeah. The Cardinals making the trade there, ten point eight ERA, and his one start, five innings, six uh, six runs, giving up two homers. Again, got shelled in the one start. Uh, not surprising to anyone. At thirty eight uh, years old, he didn't find the. If there was one team where he'd find the youth. fountain of youth, True. it would be St. Louis. But Fine. he's not drinking whatever Adam Wainwright is. That's, that's for true. sure. Uh, this one we knew would be a project, and the numbers have bared that out so far. Jesus Lazardo, 
Uh, two starts for the the Marlins here this week. Nine point three ERA. Uh, 9.2 innings pitched, 11 hits, 10 runs, 7 walks to 7 strikeouts. Again, you can see it right there, the walks. He does not have the control right now. What he needs is time in the minors to work on his mechanics, work things out. You're not going to do that at the major league level. Again, maybe the major league coaches just wanted to get a chance to see him uh, with their own eyes and to look at it, but that's a project. They weren't signing him or trading for him to all of a sudden turn things around this year. This is a long-term goal, hopefully as soon as this next year, uh, but there's work to be done there. Fine. I, hold on. I yeah. watched his first start. I want to say something quick. I watched his first start this week, and it was pretty good, and then he he limited the walks in that one, like you mentioned, and then he got a course Field start, which was a terrible spot for him, and I think he gave up seven earned runs in like an inning or two, so there's hope. I'm not, I'm not giving up on Jesus Cesardo like anywhere close to these other guys. So you think uh, bad spots uh, to be in or things you'd expect bad but, things of? Now let's get to Andrew Haney. Did Andrew Haney give up any home runs when he went let's, to pitch at New York? Let's look at that. He had two starts this week, ERA of 7.2. In 10 innings, he has given up, drumroll, five. Five home yeah. runs. So and, and, the, and the move that no one could see coming, uh, if you were in the Man. pinstripes front office, of him having home run problems pitching in the, for the New York Yankees. So uh, that move has gone exactly as you anticipated, but a lot of these uh, borderline moves uh, that were pitchers that were traded for have not lived up to standards pe- teams are hoping for, but some of it was exactly what you could see coming. Yeah, that's... I don't know how the Yankees traded for Andrew Heaney, the worst home run guy in baseball, and thought he was going to fit. I have a couple of offensive guys on this list. A couple of them I have very little concerns about, but they're cold. J.D. Martinez, at least I saw it today, he went four for five, so calm down. But uh, at least going into today, he was having the stretch where if it happened in April, everybody freaks out, but it happens in August and you don't notice because he had such a phenomenal first few months. In the last 15 games before today, he had nine for 60, which is a 150 batting average with one home run, 16 strikeouts to two walks. And we mentioned that the Red Sox were slipping. Well, when you're missing arguably one of the best bats in the Major League Baseball, and that that makes sense. Tim Anderson is another guy who was on that same stripe of a stretch, although I see he had a home run tonight. So I typed these last night, and they're already bouncing back, and that's okay because good players do that. Tim Anderson was 13 of 65 going into today with one home run in his last 15 games. And unlike Tim J.D. Martinez, though, uh, the White Sox kept winning because – there's something else. And here's the one that I actually have real concerns about. Uh, Michael Conforto. Like, we've, I don't know how many Mets have been on this list this year at different times. Francisco Lindor was. Pete Alonzo was. I don't really know what's going on with Michael Conforto. He's been pretty solid over the years, where the last four years he's putting up OPS pluses between 122 and 154, which means he is a quite above average Major League Baseball player. But this year, it's terrible. You're talking six home runs at this point of the year, 24 RBIs, a 201 batting average, a 331 on base percentage, which is, and a 329 slugging. All of those are like career lows, and the slugging is so much lower than with everything. We've seen this guy put up 30 home run seasons before, and he's had six, and we are not been hurt. So I don't know what's going on with Michael Conforto, but it is bad this year. Again, this is a guy that has struggled with injuries in the past. I don't know if there's something like going on, like lingering stuff that's causing it. Uh, his BAPIP is at an all-time low. Uh, so we, we see that he's at 244 right now. 
He was at an insane 412 last year. That wasn't going to ch- stay. But he had the last three years was between 290 and 328. So that's more where he has uh, lived in the last uh, four seasons. So he's well below that right now. Uh, his power numbers are well below that, a 139 ISO, uh, which has been in the two, uh, 200s at, uh, the last three seasons. Uh, his strikeout percentage is within normal. His walk rate is down a, a couple of percentage points, uh, but nothing else from the, the look of the, the number uh, is... Uh, uh, it's, it's, actually, no, I, I take that back. The walking is up. The strikeouts are down. I know. Uh, but it, it's, it's very weird. It's very, very weird. This is yeah. This one I said I, you can't hardly explain, Michael Forte. You look at the numbers and you say, well, he should be maybe slightly worse than usual, but not this. Last year he put up a nine twenty seven OPS plus. That is awesome. Now it's a short year, but the last full year we saw him. He's put up an eight fifty six and a seven ninety seven. If you're putting up roughly an eight hundred OPS plus, you're a very good player. And this year we're down at six seventy three. He is twenty eight years old. He is not old at all. So this sudden slip, it just. There's not much of a reason to answer it. And like I said, I have no concerns J.D. Martinez and Tim Anderson are going to be good the rest of the year. I'm really worried about Michael Conforto at this point. I, I don't know if you need to be as much. And I, I just dug up on, on Baseball Savant to get into the stat cast to kind of dig into the underlying numbers. And uh, right now, the barrel percentage is down, uh, but he's been here before. Uh, his exit velocity is uh, at the same level it's been for the last three, four seasons. Uh, he is at uh, like no launch angle issue there. Uh, he's not connecting the way he should, but if you look at his expected stats based upon everything, they're saying he should be at a 248 uh, batting average, 433 slugging, which is the part what's down right now. Uh, the WOA is, is, uh, OBA is, is not good, uh, but it's not that far down from what it should be. Again, 358 is what it should be. Uh, so they're... They're still pretty optimistic about him as far as the underlying numbers. So if you add this to the BABIP numbers uh, that we have, uh, right now I, I would say, like, again, here's another buy-low candidate for next year. This is going to end up being a lost year uh, for all sorts of things, but if you file away Anthony Rendon and Michael Conforto next year, uh, I think you're looking at some good guys to uh, improve your roster. We'll have to remember that for my fantasy yeah. team come March or whatever when we start talking about it because we're going to talk about them in a little bit and it's a kind of tough couple of weeks here. I am out of heat as on names unless you have any more. I have a two that I was going to add at the top of the, the seven day list. First is uh, Pete Alonzo. Uh, hey, another Met. Yeah, not a not a good week, but again the the more walks than strikeouts. So again, nothing that's too concerning. But he's on a two for twenty four stretch right now, so that's no bueno. I would say that. In Pete Alonso's defense, he is one of these streaker hitters in baseball, and he could go like 10 for 24 this week with six yep. home runs, and yep. I wouldn't blink an eye. But, yeah, he, the whole Mets as a whole are still right where they were last year, and that it is a team that should be much better than they are, and they just don't seem to work together. One step forward, two steps back. I don't get the Mets at all, ever. The one that uh, he's been mentioned a lot for being a, a big part of the Angels offense, but uh, not a good week for him, Brandon Marsh. Uh, he's in a two for twenty-one stretch, uh, and and the frustrating week because you look and see it's ten strikeouts to three walks, so he's scuffling right now uh, in his week stretch. Even like if you're talking the Angels, even like Otani's been pretty cold lately. He's only had a, his last hit. He's two for his last year: five, nine, thirteen, nine, twenty. Two for his last twenty. He's down to two sixty-nine, and 
you know, he's a human being too, apparently. And I think Vlad even had a cold week, if I'm not mistaken. So some of these guys who put up, you know, otherworldly MVP level numbers are still extremely good. Like Shoei Otani is very good. He has a thousand fifteen OPS plus still. So and Vlad's been great, but some of these guys, it's a little slippage here. Well, and again, Brandon Marsh, Sorry. if you're looking at his his numbers overall. Again, he's just getting started in his career, and so you're seeing those classic struggles that are there. It's not been a good, uh, good debut to his. Uh, Is there a picture of Brandon Marsh? I don't have in front of me. No. Have you seen, seen Brandon it. Marsh? Oh, he's he's got the hair. He's he got looks, the. He looks like he, Jason Worth with longer hair, which okay. is saying something. Jason Worth and uh, and Bryce Harper with uh, the the beard. Like, there's yep. a bit of a, a blend there. He's yep. he uh, he needs to be traded to Philly. He does. It is. Can you imagine him going to the Yankees? Oh man. Uh, that's why Bryce Harper needs to never go, never be a Yankee, Bryce Harper. You have too cool of hair. On that note, <laughs> we'll, uh, as we, uh, uh, when we come back, we'll take a look at a hot button issue. We're going to look at impact call-ups. As we get to uh, this time of the year when we're past the trading deadline, uh, we are looking at both who are the, the minor leaguers who didn't get traded, who teams held on to uh, that can help with uh, not in future seasons but in the, down the stretch for making an impact, as well as for the teams that are look on the outside looking in and starting to make plans for next year. Some, this is the time when uh, some guys get call-ups and teams get a chance to get a good look and evaluate the their premium uh, talent, premium prospects that could be helping them in future years. Uh, we'll take a look at those players coming up next. Cut my egg. Your eggs are cut, sir. Cut my milk. I can't, sir. It's liquid. Imbecile. Freeze it, then cut it. You, bring me the Wall Street Journal. You two, fight to the death. You are a madman. I want to party with your loud music and your Dan Fogelberg, your Zima hula hoops and Pac-Man video games, don't you see people today have attention spans that can only be measured in nanoseconds? <laughs> be honest with you, I love his music. I do. I'm a Michael Fulton fan. Yes! That's awesome! Well, as we come back here, we're going to take a look again at impact uh, call-ups uh, around Major League Baseball, and uh, this was a nice article on MLB.com. Yeah, Jim uh, Callis, Jonathan Mayo, and Sam Dykstra. And that's uh, a quite uh, an impressive trio there, so you're going to get some quality content from that. So if you're looking for that, again, specifically, uh, check it out on MLB.com. You can find that article, but we're going to kind of walk through some of that and give uh, just like by each division key guys uh, to be looking at from both the rebuilding perspective as well as those in contention. So the American League East... For the Blue Jays, they mentioned Nate Pearson. For the Orioles, they mentioned Jemai Jones. For the Rays, Vidal Brujan. For the Red Sox, Tristan Casas. And for the Yankees, Luis Gill. So I will start with, I want to start with Tristan Casas. Uh, I don't know if we, the United States finished in the silver position at the Olympic Games. They were beaten by the Japanese. But if you watched any of it, Tristan Costa looked, looked great. He had three home runs at least. I think he might have actually hit a fourth in the final game. And whereas they didn't win, uh, Tristan Casas plays first. And I saw a report that Kyle Schwarber had a setback in his rehab. So we know they have the Red Sox have a deficiency at first, first base. Bobby Dahlbeck has done what Bobby Dahlbeck always does and that he hits for a lot of power, but he strikes out a lot and he does not draw a lot of walks. Whereas Tristan Casas is a very high on base percentage player at double A. He was not getting on base at a 354 clip this year. So I think it is, should not be long after he gets back. I think he'll have to do the 
the mandatory quarantine time, I think, to return from Tokyo. You have to quarantine for 10 days, I saw. So we'll see. But Tristan Casas should be up with the Red Sox soon, I think, and uh, be their primary first baseman until at least Kyle Schwarber does recover. Yeah, that's one where you have top prospect meeting top opportunity and need. Uh, and when you can match those two together, you're going get, to get every opportunity uh, to make a difference with the big league club. I think you should talk about your team's guy. I think you should talk about Vidal Brujan. Are we going to see him soon? There's too much of a glut right now. Uh, I mean, even uh, Taylor Walls. I expect more uh, more from him, honestly, in September than I do Vidal Brujan. Other than you know his speed is there. Where if you want an extra, if you want Brett Phillips 2.0, when we get to September down the stretch, can he be a guy who pinch runs and wreaks havoc on the bases? Yeah, I think that's a possibility in a limited role. Uh, but there's right now the the Rays are reaching a interesting uh, point in their. Uh, MLB ready players and those that are getting ready to call up that for the first time in team's history, they have too many offensive players and not enough places to put them. Uh, and it's going to be a kind of a, a reckoning of sorts in the offseason of who stays and, and who goes. And uh, players that could assist with, uh, they, they need, uh, especially with the Tyler Glass now injury now, you're going to need an additional long term starter. Uh, and right now, I think Austin Meadows and Vidal Bruhan could be the key, key premium talent they use to uh, shore up uh, the, the need with the starting pitching. Again, I still see the, the Marlins being an excellent fit because they have pitchers and need position players. The Rays have position players and need pitchers. It almost makes sense, maybe too much sense for things to happen. But uh, as far as impact, Vidal Bruhan, I think as like a pinch runner, a guy to wreak havoc on the bases, he'll have an opportunity in September. I'm going to mention, I'm not going to go over all these teams, but I'm going to mention the Yankees, Luis believe it's not it's looks like gill g-i-l but i think they say heel luis heel if i haven't because i've seen him now pitch twice i watched both the starts he's been called up for the yankees and it's been really impressive so today was the second start but the first start he went six innings against baltimore struck out six didn't give up any earned runs and today he played seattle five innings didn't give up any earned runs struck out eight so through two starts you're at 11 innings of 14 strikeouts to three walks without an earned run now I know the minor league track record would say that the walks are going to come at some point, but at least through two starts, it's certainly been a nice surprise for the Yankees, as we've mentioned that their pitching has been questionable, but they're a, he's a big reason why they've started to win some games here as they keep trying to make up ground on the Red Sox. Let's go to the AL Central. Uh, the Indians, Nolan Jones, he's a third-base prospect. The Royals, Jackson Kowar. Tigers, Cody Clemens. The Twins, Joe Ryan. And the White Sox, Jake Berger. I would like to go once again with another Olympian, and I will talk about Joe Ryan. Joe Ryan was the primary person that was traded to the Twins for Nelson Cruz from your team, and he's been okay over in Tokyo. I think it was like two starts. He'd given up ten, two earned runs. Now, I said right after they made that trade that if the Twins are truly tearing this down, which they ended up doing, I think Joe Ryan could go right back to the big league level, which would be his big league debut, and I still believe that's possible. I said once he completes his quarantine time from the trip to Tokyo, I think that Joe Ryan should right away go into the, the Twins rotation and get a chance to see what he's got. At this point, they're not catching anybody, and so you might as well play some of these young guys and see what you have the next few months. That's exactly what you're looking for if you're a member of the uh, Twins. You want to see some of these guys that came up. Uh, they tried adding a bunch of, of pitching prospects and players that are near MLB ready. So this is when you want to see them to know who do you feel you can count on next year and, and who you can't because this is the team that will believe that it can contend 
uh, very quickly here. This isn't a long scale uh, rebuild. They have a lot of, as we mentioned in previous podcasts, they have a lot of good, young, talented players. You just need to find out which pitchers you can count on. And that's where this time is extremely valuable to a team like the Twins. I want to mention the Royals quick, too, here. The name on the list was Jackson Coar. If you don't remember, we saw Jackson Coar earlier in the year. He was terrible. That was the type of player that I was banking on. Excuse me. When I picked the Royals early in the year to make a wild card, and Jackson Coar was bad, but so was Daniel Lynch for them. And the last, I don't know if you've noticed, but the last couple of weeks, Daniel Lynch has been really good again for the Royals, pitching like the top prospect that he was. Daniel Lynch has got his ERA or his FIP down to 424, and the last couple of starts, he struck out, I think, like 10 against the Blue Jays, which is a really good team. So there's hope for the Royals still. Jackson Coar, I don't know if we'll see him this year, but the Royals, I have no reason to keep him down anymore, if you ask me. They're out of it. Play some of these young guys. Let's see what you got. The only reason you wouldn't play him is some time manipulation, which, which we know happens in baseball. Uh, let's move out west, the American League West, unless you have anybody you'd like to mention. Nope, okay. The Angels, Jacob Gatewood, he used to be a brewer, actually, I believe, I think. And uh, swing and misses a lot, but a lot of power. He would be like a utility third base type. Astros, Hunter Brown. The Athletics, here's an interesting one name. A.J. Puck. The Mariners, Aaron Fletcher, and the Rangers, Josh Jung. So, oh, let's, I'll talk A.J. Puck here. He has had a bevy of injuries in his young career. He was, I think, the fifth pick overall a while ago out of Florida. And most, he's had Tommy John, and this year it was a bicep strain. And he hasn't been very good. When we've seen him at AAA this year, it's not been good. But he still strikes out a lot of batters, and he's left-handed, a team that is, like the Oakland A's that is trying to make the playoffs. If you, we've seen teams like the White Sox did it a long time ago with Chris Sale, right? Lefties who can come in and strike guys out out of the bullpen, even if they're starters in the minors, and a team that's trying to make a playoff run, you could call up A.J. Puck, say, give us two innings a time and just throw as hard as you can, and let's see you strike out you know, four or five guys in two innings. That's possible. That's probably the best role for him coming back when you don't have a lot of time left, even in the minors period. Uh, you're not going to build up uh, innings uh, with this. And so you're, it's a matter of use what you have very uh, efficiently uh, and use the bullets for major league purpose. So uh, try him in shorter stints. Try him in the bullpen, especially with uh, a left-hand arm that has swing and miss uh, uh, stuff. Uh, it's a, an excellent role uh, on a playoff contending team. The other name that I can mention is Josh Jung, uh, the Rangers. We would have probably seen Josh Jung start the year with the Rangers, I think at least likely, but if you remember back in spring training, he broke his foot, yeah. and so we have not seen him yet, but he was a top 10 pick in two years ago in the draft. Yeah, 2019 in the draft, and so he's be an instant upgrade at third base. The Rangers, the Rangers have like a historically bad offense in the last couple of months. I think it's like a sub-200 OPS. Like, it is awful. So... Anything you can get at this point, Josh Young should be up there once he's healthy. Let's move to the National League. Real quick, I'll just My mention bad. Aaron Fletcher with the Mariners. I, I like the the smaller role. Uh, he's been up with the, the Mariners twice uh, this year. Uh, he's been really tough against lefties, uh, 158 batting average against. Uh, the Mariners have had a lot of... Uh, young talent coming up this year, uh, but as they try to maintain semblance of uh, competitiveness here, especially when they need help in the bullpen, uh, whether it's now or especially by September when you can do a September call-up, here's someone that you can use strategically in that bullpen, specifically against lefties, and keep building up. Quick mention of the Mariners. Some of their star prospects are starting to show out. You've mentioned Logan Gilbert a few times. Jared Kelnick looks better the last 
10 days, two weeks. He's had a couple home runs. One of them was a super cheapie at Yankee Stadium where he basically popped it up and it left the wall, but the, the strikeout rate's been cut down a little bit. Jared Kelnick's starting to look like the Jared Kelnick that I expected to see early on, so that's encouraging if you are a Mariners fan. Now, the National League East, Braves, Christian Pache. We've talked about him a couple times on this list before. Edwin Cabrera of the Marlins, Khalil Lee of the Mets, Kybert Ruiz of the Nationals, and Rafael Marchand of the Phillies. There's some big names on this list. I'll take Edward Cabrera because I think he could be the best of the Marlins pitchers, and that's saying something because they have a lot of good young ones, but Cabrera's amazing, like incredible stats. He was signed a while ago out of the Dominican Republic uh, this year at AAA, or maybe it's in all different levels. He has a 258 ERA, 63 strikeouts to 16 walks. That's awesome, right? And we know that they can develop pitching. Everybody that they seem to get down there, they can figure it out. That's why you mentioned Hazel Cesardo. We don't have a whole lot of concerns. And I think Edward Cabrera, if the Marlins bring him up, could have a very much a Sixto Sanchez-like impact on that team. Well, again, what you look for is young pitching because usually the challenge is they got a lot of stuff. Can they harness it? Uh, and when you look at 45 and a third innings and only 16 walks given up, that's what you really want to see out of uh, young pitchers, especially when they can uh, throw triple digits, when they have uh, good pitches that are there. Uh, usually good stuff at that age, it's hard for them to, to manage and, and, and figure out how to use it the best. That's not his problem. So that already says his uh, floor is very good right now, and that ceiling we know is, is immense. So here's someone that's going to be key on it. And if you add him and, and you add Lazardo and you add what they already have there and, and Sisto Sanchez coming back, and they have like seven, they're either seven or eight deep on high-quality uh, pitching prospects or pitching talent. Uh, so that's why I said I, I believe, and they well, it's nothing that's uh, rocket science to say or some big uh, uh, revelation to say that they're going to use pitching to up to improve and upgrade their roster because they themselves have already said it here in the last six weeks. Another team that improved their roster, well, that's maybe a stretch, but improved their minor league system was the Nationals at the at the trade deadline. Listen last week if you want a more full recap of Kybert Ruiz, but I was actually surprised they didn't just immediately stick him into the major league lineup like they did with Josiah Gray. They sent him to the minors, but. I mentioned it last week. He's a switch hitting catcher who has like a close to 400 on base percentage. Those are extremely rare. Now, I don't know if it'll carry over to the big leagues. It hasn't when we've seen him. That's like three games. But I think Kyber Ruiz is going to be very good very soon for the Washington Nationals lineup. Well, again, now you have a couple of building blocks to go with Juan Soto, right? That's the whole point of the Washington rebuild, as we mentioned last week, is you build around him. And so now with Josiah Gray, we've seen how good he's looked. Kyber Ruiz is uh, next on that list. That's three good, uh, a good starting, a very good starting pitcher, ace uh, ceiling, uh, frontline catcher, and a MVP uh, perennial candidate in Juan Soto. Those are three at the right positions, big building blocks that you'd want. Uh, so that gives you something to build with in Washington. National League Central, the Brewers, Aaron Ashby, the Cardinals, Matthew Liberatore, another U.S. Olympian, uh, the Cubs, Greg Diekman. You can listen to him last week once again on the trade podcast. He was traded. The Pirates, well, I'm going to marry to this name, Tucapita Marcano. That's who they got back in the Adam Frazier deal. And the Reds, Jose Barrero. So I'll talk Aaron Ashby. Uh, we saw him, I saw him I make one start for the Brewers. I, he was spot starting, and it was terrible. I think it was like seven earned runs. But he's been great. At, at AAA Nashville, he's struck out 87 in 56 innings, and uh, apparently he gave up he three walks and four hits in two-thirds of an inning, it mentions, in his big league debut. But, once again, we mentioned it with the Mariners and the A's. Lefty young arms like this, 
the Brewers are in a playoff chase, right? Bring him up. Let's see what he's got in the bullpen of nothing else. And we, I just said they have a ton of COVID right now. I watched Sale Romano. I'm really surprised now. they haven't brought him up. Then you already have an arm that you know is uh, yeah, you're not an ideal debut, but it takes time to to go in there. If you're signing John Axford, you can bring up Andy Ashby. Let's put it that way. John Axford. I saw Sale Romano last night out of the Yankees AAA system who was pitching in the 11th inning of a tie game, and uh, it would not, did not go well against a very good Giants lineup. So Shocking. I know. Unbelievable. And, oh, let's me. I'll mention Matthew Liberator. So Liberator was, he was the Randy or Rosarena trade, right? Yep. Yep, that was a Randy or Rosarena trade. So he's been around for a while. Uh, left-handed arm. I don't think he's had a very good year at AAA, but honestly, I saw him a couple times at Tokyo, and you see why people like him. He's very tall, and he commands his pitches very well, I would say. So the Cardinals are rolling out their ARP lineup, or at least their ARP rotation right now. So I have no idea why they wouldn't want to see what they I love that. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Why they would not want to roll out at least some youth to see what they have there. But that's all, more the Cardinals way. When they do afternoon games, <laughs> do they do like the, the they senior a, special? Say they get like a nap in between games. Like it's like a, a siesta time. That's what they, they go walk out in their walkers. But anyways... The final division is the National League West. Diamondbacks, Seth Beer, huge power hitter. Uh, the Dodgers, Ryan Pepio, I, that's the name I mentioned last week as being their one stud pitcher that they still have left. Giants, Joey Bart, Padres, Luis Camposano, and the Rockies, Ryan Velade. So, as usual, I don't know what the Rockies, I don't know anything about the Rockies guy because I'm sure he's, who knows. But I can talk about some of these catchers. So, Joey Bart, we've seen him at stretches of time, but... Buster Posey's still playing pretty good and probably the best season since he won the MVP. What was that like 2013 or 12 or something? And I wouldn't be surprised though, if you don't see Joey Bart at, as the giants keep winning games, right? They're still winning a lot of games. They just beat the Brewers two of three. So he may not start, but a bat like that can certainly help a team as they make a push in the postseason. I would say. Now, has Buster Posey done much at first base at all, or are they only said only they catching? To. They used because to do him at first be, base. Or at least Joey, if one of them can do some first base, because uh, is... Uh, Brandon Belt got back, though. I watched is, him hit is, three home runs this weekend. Yeah, I know. Sorry, Brewers fans. But the uh, uh, for, is either one of these guys, are they both right-handed? Uh, because one, cause Brandon Belt uh, mashes right-handed pitching, but he is a platoon bat. So you need someone versus lefty. So if one of these guys can uh, uh, catch and the other can go to first uh, for those games, that's when that that platoon role, that uh, bench role, uh, can have a key a key uh, impact because then you can uh, give Posey some rest down the stretch as we get into that time frame, and then also uh, going up against lefties uh, that way. Like there's there's some opportunity there if that uh, aligns with what the needs are. Surprisingly. Buster Posey has not played a game of first since 2019. Well, we know he didn't play one last year because he opted out, but he has not played first base since 2019. So they have not played him there at all this year, which is surprising. And they are both right-handed bats, just both Buster Posey and Joey Bart. So maybe a little too similar for what they really want, but you find a way, right? Like that's what Good I would say. Good bats, you always find yeah, a you way. You find a way to get him in the lineup at some point. We can mention, I'll mention Luis Camposano. Camposano was probably the prospect that was most likely to trade if they were going to make a move for someone like, I'm sure when it was agreed to that they were trading for Max Scherzer, I'm sure Luis Camposano was part of that trade because we know that they got Kybert Ruiz back, who's also a very good catcher. So Luis Camposano was a catcher. Um, the thing with Camposano is like, we saw him, was that 
yeah, early this year, and it was pretty bad. Now, three for 34 with 11 Ks, but he's still 22 years old, and he's still maybe not quite to the level of Kyber Ruiz, which is, I don't want to be like a slight. Once again, I feel like all the players in the National League West can compare to the Dodgers players, and it's always like an unfair comparison, but he's still good. And the the Padres, though, have a pretty good pair of catchers in that Austin Nola has been back and healthy lately. And as far as Victor Caratini goes, the reason that every team gets Victor Caratini is because you Darvish loves him, right? Like he was on the, the Cubs and the, he needed Victor Caratini to be his catcher. He got traded out here. And then a few days later, they traded for him because for whatever reason, you Darvish needs Victor Caratini for him to feel like he's doing what he's supposed to do. So it's weird for a team to keep three catchers. The rosters are not expanding as much as they used to. I don't, I think it's, is it three players you get now instead of? Yeah, it's only only three. So either goes to like roster size of 28 or 29. Yeah. So that'll be interesting to see this year. But I, I always kind of thought it was stupid to expand them as much as they did. But I don't know if the, the, the Padres st- struggle a little bit with some of their player development or prospect development for bringing them up. And it's been, you can say the same thing for catcher. Like they gave up on Francisco Mejia. Way too fast. He's been good with the Rays. A 114 WRC plus uh, worth, uh, a, I think it's a win and a half in uh, part-time uh, duty. The, the Rays have had the, one of the best c- catching duos, especially from a power standpoint, uh, with Mike Zunino and, and Mejia going there. But the uh, kind of a, I wonder about the same thing with Luis Caposano. If that's, if he's not going to get the, because catchers need more time to develop and you need more patience with them. And this is a team that, with the way they've constructed the roster, has no patience whatsoever because of the, the contending window and what they're trying to do. Shout out to my guy, Elo Jimenez. Just hit a second home run of the night. At a boy, as you return from your long injury, it's good to see you back and playing well. And uh, the Cubs are getting their booty handed to them by the Chicago White Sox in the cross division rivalry where the White Sox are now up. Eight to three, Zach Davies got lit up by a very good White Sox. The top four hitters in the White Sox lineup. Tim Anderson is two for three with a home run. Adam Engel, one for three. Jose Abreu, one for three. And Eloy, three for three. Two home runs. So, that's you. That's great. Go White Sox. Uh, as, the, as another key from injury uh, brought back and surging for a first-place uh, team, uh, improving themselves that much more. Uh, the last uh, hot-button issue to, to bring up is uh, this an article I came across, and this is about the long-term future, and, and the big question that's there is not only debating the future of Fernando Tatis Jr. for the rest of the season, but what is his long-term uh, future? And not only for trying to be careful with that shoulder, uh, which is obviously the... Uh, Extremely, uh, what, nine-figure uh, question uh, that's uh, there, and that's putting it mildly. Uh, an article on MLB.com asking if Tatis moves to the outfield, who will be the Padres shortstop? So first, I'm like, well, wait a minute. There's actual talk of uh, Fernando Tatis moving to the outfield. He was, that seems like something we should uh, discuss. Yeah, yeah, he was, what day was that? Today's Sunday, so I think it was like Friday. They said they saw him shagging fly balls in center field in batting practice or whatever. And uh, I know they somebody asked him, like, are you feeling okay? And he's like, I, I vow to be back this season. And you're like, okay, um, sure. Here's what I'd say about Fernando Tatis as far as this season goes. He's gotten hurt swinging. He's gotten hurt sliding. And he's gotten hurt throwing. So uh, you've, you've ran the gamut there, and your shoulder's still bad. So take your time. Now, could he move to outfield? 
Yeah, I suppose it's possible. He's a terrible short. Like defensively, he's an awful shortstop. I think he's still leading baseball in errors. Last I knew. So, and I mentioned they have C.J. Abrams, who's like extremely highly regarded at shortstop. Do I think that him moving to the outfield speeds up his return from this injury? Nah. I at at best, I'd say it better be left field because you want to put him in the least uh, least outfield like least defensive need position, and you want to have a strong center fielder next to him because here's the problem. He plays all out. He's going to do that at any position that he's at. So will he be crashing into walls trying to catch uh, uh, fly balls? Will he be diving for them when they're slicing in front of him? Isn't that still going to be a shoulder issue? The issue is not the position with him. You might be able to reduce the amount of times, but the way in which he plays, he says he's never going to change that, and I understand it. But it's not going to matter where you move him. You're still going to have the same problem to be dealt with. So, I'm like that happens to Byron Buxton, right? He plays very hard. He gets hurt all the time. Yep. And it used to happen to Bryce Harper, right? He he's sort of slowed it down a little bit, and it works better. But yeah, I I agree. We we said he wasn't going to swing as hard. Well, I've watched him play so many times since this, and I saw him hurt his shoulder swinging, and I said I saw him hurt his shoulder sliding and diving, and. Their outfield is they have a, such a weird team now anyways because of all the players they've added that it's so many like so you're gonna play Tommy Pham, right? He's he's currently in left. He he's locked in. Uh maybe you could slide him to center, but Trent Grisham's in center. He's been pretty good. You maybe slide him to right. I think Will Myers is replaceable, right? You'd probably bench Will Myers and find Fernando Tatis in that bat out there, but they also still have Jurgs and Profar and like, yeah, you're going to play Fernando Tatis. If you're told me you're not playing Fernando Tatis, sure, wrong. Like, you're going to find a spot for him. They, they've they done it all year. They they also do this weird, like, I think you mentioned maybe last week, like, what would the Rays look like if they had money? Like, the, we'd mentioned the Dodgers. Well, the Padres do it in that they move their guys all around. Like, that's the Rays' way of doing it, too. So, like, we've seen Jake Cronenworth play second and third and short and first in the outfield, right? He's doing it all. And Adam Frazier, they brought him in, and he can play second, and he can play the outfield, and he can play short. So, if you told me that suddenly Fernando Tatis was playing the outfield for them, I'd say, yeah, it's not surprising. Maybe this is their excuse, because here's the thing. You have a guy who's playing shortstop. He is your franchise player, but he's terrible defensively. I was trying to find how many how, errors. How been. are you going to have the conversation? Like, hey, we have, we have to move you off a short. You know how much that's going to uh, potentially cause rancor with your uh, with your main franchise player. But if you're saying it's for for health to to help your shoulder, we're going to make this executive decision and and do that. Does this become an easier opportunity for the uh, for the Marlins? Or, excuse me, for the Padres to. Uh, take care of a defensive issue, which could be a PR challenge, when you also already have a glut of very good middle infielders uh, that will also shore up defensively and put him in a less defensive needed position. Uh, and especially with Will Myers being the way it is, you have an opening in the outfield. Even if you move uh, Tommy Pham to right field and you put uh, 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 Tatis and in, in left, like you, you have an easier way to handle that than you do keeping Tatis at a premium defensive position when he's not doing it at a premium level. I think at some point he will play the outfield for them. I think that happens. He has 20 errors already this season like in 84 games. Like He will play the outfield at some point. I don't think, I said, I don't think it's going to happen this year. I no. don't think this speeds up his, 
I know people want to say, oh, you can play the outfield, you can get back. Like, you are still an throwing the ball in there, too. Right. Like, his, yeah. he still has to throw the ball in from the outfield if he gets it. Like, you want him catching a ball and trying to whip it home to get a runner out at home because that's how you hurt your shoulder again. Guess what? Like, he will likely transition to the outfield at some point. Now, we've seen tons of shortstops transition to different positions. He can still be extremely good, right? Manny Machado on their team was a shortstop for a long time. He moved to third, and guess what? He's still really good. So, Fernando Tatis will be fine wherever he plays. I, he is way too athletic to be a bad outfielder. Like, could he still make errors? Sure, but a lot of what he does now, he has 12 throwing errors to eight fielding errors. So you don't make as many throwing errors in the outfield because you're not trying to hit as big of, like, the target is much wider because you can just try and hit the cutoff man, right? So he'll make a fine outfielder. He's I wouldn't be surprised if you don't see another year at a shortstop before the transition. Then, I said, C.J. Abrams is going to miss the rest of this year. So that gives him a year to master shortstop. You move Fernando Tatis to the outfield and... You go from there in two years. That would be my prediction on the whole thing. Well, we'll wrap up by taking a look at the uh, uh, the fantasy team that is, uh, uh, I guess we can refer to it as the, the artist formerly known as Mike Trout, uh, as he goes into week 12 of his MIA status. Is there a is there a milk carton with his, his picture on it uh, anymore? Because this uh, uh, six to eight weeks is uh, long overdue. Yeah, I said I'd. I don't know what happened to him. They said that he's got his calf thing. He's looks encouraging, but it was six to eight weeks for him. And I think we're at week 11 or 12 for Corey Seager. Originally it was going to be four weeks that ended up being eight. He's back. Seager had an okay week. He's four for 19, three runs, two ribbies. My counting stats were okay this week. I had 33 runs, six homers, 28 RBIs, five steals and two fifty eight. Like that's a pretty good offensive week as far as cobbling it together. But it's hard when, you know, you have an Eloy hitting two home runs or whatever, and I'm rolling out, you know, Drake Freely's been fine. He's three for 19 with two runs, two ribbies, and a steal this week. That's fine, but without a Mike Trout at the top to really bring it home, it's it's been hard to make up ground there. So the pitching, I, you mentioned, you know, Josiah Gray. I put a Josiah Gray for those two starts this week. He got me, for some reason, I only got one win this week because Josiah Gray plays on the Nationals, and so they didn't get any wins. And Brandon Woodruff had a great start, but he didn't get a win, but... 55 innings, 48 strikeouts, 374 ERA, 136 whip. I had three saves. Each one of my new closers got a save. Tyler Clippard and Brandon or Kyle Finnegan. Now Chapman went on the IL, but I still got a couple closers in there. So we're making up a little ground there. I, st- I said before we started, I have a new goal. I'm at 79 points, I think. I would like to get back to 90. I think that's, if my trout comes back, I think that's certainly doable. Then I might, depending on if he got back quick enough, I could maybe bump that up a little bit. But even without him, I think that I can find a way to get to 90 points. Uh, this isn't going to come out in the next hour, I don't think. So tonight I have some plans as far as free agency is concerned. Derek Hill, I've been playing him. I actually was picked him up for the speed for Detroit, thinking that he would get some speed because he had started the year off hot. He had six steals. Now this week he went – four for 17 with a home run, and he's had a few weeks of, you know, six for 21, four for 14, but he hasn't stole the base, I think, since week 16, so it's been a while, so that didn't help. I'm going to try and pick up Joe Adele. I don't know. I don't have a whole lot of money left. We'll see. Uh, Ledmus Diaz is the backup bid there. Houston just had another injury. I, I don't remember who. Oh, Yuli Griel. I mentioned Yuli Griel. So Ledmus Diaz is getting in the lineup more, so we'll see if I can get him in there. And then Taiwan Walker has to be mentioned. Hey, what do you know? Another Met who's bad lately. Uh, Taiwan Walker started the year off great, so the season numbers still involve like a 399 ERA. But okay, here's his last week 19. That's this week. I didn't. He had a start today. I think that was like five innings, four earned. 
Earlier this week, he had a five and two thirds, four earned, a five innings, five earned, four innings, six earned, third of an inning, five earned. Like ever since the I'm, Rich Hill got traded to the Mets, and him and Taiwan Walker should discuss how they can figure out ways to grip the ball again now that they can no longer use the sticky stuff because it seems pretty obvious that uh, they are both struggling with that. So Taiwan Walker is going to get dropped. Uh, remember you Oscar, you who broke his hand, punching the wall for the Braves. He is working his way back and he had an amazing start at a triple a in a rehab assignment where he struck out 11, I believe. So I got a bid in for him. I got a bid in for Eliezer Hernandez, another guy working his way back from the Mets. Some of those types, uh, Travis Darno instead of Christian Vasquez, Christian Vasquez plays every day for the Red Sox. So he gets some counting stats, but four home runs, like he had nine and 60 games last year. He's at four this season. He hasn't had one since June, so uh, no, I my average is already done. I mentioned that a while ago. Like I'm second worst in average because guess what? Losing Mike Trout and Corey Seager's what I banked on being at least 290, plummeted me down to like 240, and so I can't really make that up at this point. So Christian Vasquez getting me four hits and 19 at bats without doing anything doesn't help me as much as I'm taking a chance on Travis Darno coming back from the Braves this week, and maybe he'll hit some home runs for me, and we'll make up a little ground there. Well, we'll continue to uh, <laughs> keep an eye on things and hope for the best. And uh, did you uh, say what your your target is now? As you look at uh, expectations, with looking at uh, all the injuries and everything else, what are you uh, hoping to achieve between now and the end of the year? I said ninety points, and that would probably get me into a fourth or fifth range. And I'm not going to catch the, the the top guys are up at the 113 range, and that that's good, like good for them. But I just I said I'm fourth in pitching points total, which is Really good. I'll take that. And that's Brandon Woodruff, Joe Musgrove, Julio Urias. Those guys have been great. And I'm second worst in hitting, 22 points. So I got to – if I can get that up to the 30-point range, get get 85 points right there and see where I go from there, that that would be my goal, get to 30 points hitting. Well, with that, that'll wrap up uh, this week's uh, podcast, and uh, we'll look forward to uh, touching base on uh, who's uh, on a heater, who needs uh, some heat, and uh, everything in between come next week. Thank you.